On today's episode of Behind the Headlines, we're talking about the very complex system of education in this country, and specifically in the state of Michigan. We'll be talking about the school shooting at Oxford, copycat threats, the continued stress of COVID, staffing shortages, school board meetings, and the learning loss for the children wrapped up in all of this. Our guests today, Martin Schlachter and Dylan Getz, will be digging into all of this next. As I said, our guests Martin Schlachter and Dylan Getz diving in to the complex education system in the state of Michigan. And as always, our co-host, Vice President of Content, the one and only, the holiday-themed John Heiner. How are you, my friend? I am well. The holiday spectacular continues here at MLive on Behind the Headlines. Um, if things get a little messy at the end, because our holiday party is going to start and uh, <laughs> the eggnog has been spiked. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, it's been it's quite, quite a year, Eric, wouldn't you say? Uh, yes. I was actually saying the other day, we thought 2020 was the year and 2021 was like, hang on, let me show you what, what a crazy year is really like, because this feels way crazier than last year. And what we won't do is 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 at the end of this episode, talk about how next year it's all going to change, <laughs> right? We're correct. Yes. We're not going to we're not going to use the in the normal word during this podcast because uh, perhaps this is normal. But one thing that you know has not changed. One institution has been very very stressed throughout the whole year. Has been our medical system, hospitals. Uh, we're writing it's deja vu. We're writing a lot of the same stories about you know emergency rooms overwhelmed. Don't don't come to the hospital for routine stuff, things like that. But if I had to say a close second as far as institutions that have, have really struggled, um, you know for normalcy during the pandemic, it's schools, uh, public school system. You know, colleges seem to be getting back to, you know, fairly routine, although, you know, there's masking mandates and we've had COVID outbreaks, but our public school system in Michigan has been really, really beset uh, by not just COVID, but lots of other issues that maybe have just arisen out of the stress of, of not being in normal settings. And so, um, I'm not going to uh, run down all the, the different things uh, myself. I'm going to turn that over to our guests. But being joined today by Marty Slachter, who covers education for the Ann Arbor News and M Live, and then from the Flint Journal, Dylan Getz, who also covers education. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good to be here. It's great to have you here. And I was talking about the variety of the kinds of issues that, that you were handling. The one I think is, is really present in people's minds is in the wake of the Oxford shooting. Um, in, you know, we had gone a long time without you know, mass shooting violence. And uh, that tragic event has really brought that back to the headlines. But also uh, it's, it's created a wave of kind of copycat threats and, and security issues. So just first and foremost, what's the climate right now in schools in terms of security and, and what are you hearing from uh, superintendents and other school officials? Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead. It, it really seems that, um, you know, a lot of schools are dealing with this and, you know, it was only November 30th when the Oxford High School shooting. So we've been dealing with this for 14 days, about two weeks about now, and, and we're still seeing a lot of copycat threats. So almost every school district in Genesee County, um, you know, where, where I cover education, uh, closed that, that same Friday, I think it was December 3rd. And ever since we've seen, um, you know, numerous other close, closings from certain school districts who have investigated threats and, you know, deemed them to be credible enough to shut down. One of the interesting parts about it though, I was talking to an administrator last week and they said uh, COVID has actually made it a little bit easier to shut down if needed because 
a lot of the, you know, a lot of schools have been using COVID-19 funding from, from the government to invest in their technology in case, you know, COVID cases ever spike up again, they have the ability to go virtual. Uh, that's what a lot of schools have been doing, you know, in this case too, when there's a threat to one of the buildings, they, you know, call it off and, you know, send students, you know, some, some work virtually if needed. So that's been interesting. Yeah, I would, I would just add um, the, the threats have been pretty widespread uh, across the state. I haven't really seen any areas where this isn't happening and it has been pretty persistent. In fact, there was a, a threat at Oxford Middle School this morning that ended up canceling classes there. So still a, a pretty raw situation there. Um, I think one of the, the things to keep in mind is that this is just another um, layer of complexity that's been added to the educational landscape on top of all of the other issues that school districts are juggling right now with uh, staffing shortages and on top of uh, COVID-19 outbreaks and um, dealing with you know, some hostile um, opposition at times from, from parents and community members who are opposed to things like mask mandates and, and quarantine policies that they've had to institute to keep um, teachers, staff, and students safe. So it just adds um, to, a, I think, the uh, compounding, I guess, stress that's been put on school districts so far this year uh, with the return to more normal in-person classes. Marty, thanks for you know, cataloging some of the issues that schools have had to deal with. I, I will say back to the issue of school you know, violence or threats of violence, the reaction has been very swift and very, very a firm reaction from law enforcement, school districts, and so forth. Uh, even when they're involving middle school age kids, they're taking these things extremely seriously. Uh, I, I think the age of innocence is over for the ideas of schools as this haven. You know, it, I mean, it started with Columbine, but the reactions now is like the, the tolerance level for this is zero. Um, it, it was a jarring reminder a couple of weeks ago when this happened, but you did, you, you listed some of the issues and I'd like to go into them. One, um, you left, that was critical race theory, which is, is a different whole different thread than quarantine policies and masking, but it, it also has brought, uh, angry parents into school board meetings. And, you know, Eric, I was wondering when they're just going to cancel school board meetings because these things have gotten to be, uh, circuses, uh, uh, kind of anger fueled circuses where people show up and direct their ire at people who I think in most cases don't get paid. Uh, I think these are volunteers who are trying to, to help run these school districts. So both of you talk about the, you talked about the stresses, but what's the impact on school systems? What's the impact on, on school boards and going into next year, what's the climate for constructive education right now? Yeah, there was a really big push from, uh, a few, you know, Flint is our primary, um, you know, coverage area at the Flint Journal, obviously, but uh, a couple of the neighboring uh, communities really struggled with parents who were coming out against um, uh, against mask wearing in schools, that sort of thing. There was uh, plenty of protests uh, down Saginaw Street in Flint, which is our kind of main drag. Um, but it, you know, that kind of combination uh, of different issues that the education realm is facing right now that, that you, John, and, and, and Marty talked about, it's really kind of making a lot of uh, school board members and administrators and, 
even teachers, you know, feel a bit burnt out. Uh, you know, it's now been uh, almost two years of kind of not knowing what's next due to the pandemic, due to, you know, threats that are uh, coming now after the Oxford High School shooting due to mass mandates, that sort of thing. I think in, in, in recent weeks, you know, especially after the, the, the Oxford High School shooting, we haven't seen a lot of attention towards, you know, um, you know, like people protesting mask mandates and that sort of thing. In Genesee County, um, the, the county-wide mask mandate is actually being removed. So when students return from Christmas break, uh, they don't have to wear them anymore. That's according to to the county government, but schools can still do their their own individual policies as well. But it, it's really it's really putting, you know, putting this extended pressure for so long on a lot of people in the in the education industry. You know, it's causing you know some teachers and administrators to kind of, you know, look to their side and say, you know, is this something I really want to do? And 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 how are we doing it the most efficiently so I don't feel burnt out? you know, every time I come, come into the classroom or every time I come to school. I think we're also, uh, I would add, seeing some of the stress that has been put on parents who are overseeing their kids' education in a virtual or remote format really sort of take a toll on them. I think parents want to see their kids in school. Um, we have also seen parents voice a lot of opposition um, to things like mask mandates and, um, believing that their personal freedom um, should be taken into account in constructing the guidance. Um, one of the things that we've, I've seen everything from students um, walking into classes without masks on, uh, with a mask mandate, to students walking out of class to demonstrate against mask mandate. Uh, we've had school board meetings that have been cut off because um, parents have taken over public comment and essentially we're not following any of the guidelines related to that. Um, so it's, it's definitely just an extension of the tension that I think we see in all parts of society, but I believe schools have kind of become this sort of magnet for these discussions because of public meetings and because frankly, parents are impacted by all of these decisions that are being made by, um, the schools. And when you don't have a, a kind of a blanket mask mandate, like we had last year at the state level it forces um, school districts and health departments to make some of these difficult decisions and put mandates in place that are sometimes unpopular with parents. Yeah, you, you, people get a lot more engaged when it's personal and there's nothing more personal than your kid, especially if you have a family philosophy about certain things. And I mean, having been a reporter, I covered a lot of uh, um, you know, downtown development board meetings that nobody showed up for when they, they were extending a tax zone that was going to cost millions of dollars. But, you know, you, you want to change the school lunch period or milk prices and parents show up. Um, so when you get into something about like what they perceive as safety for their children, I think you're going to see a lot more engagement. And to your point, Marty, I think the, the tenor of the school board meetings with their shouting and the, the signs and, and the anger it's just a reflection of society in general, you know, at this point in terms of the differences and the polarization that we have over certain issues. Um, you, one thing about the, you mentioned two labor shortages, and we had a story earlier uh, this, this winter on a school superintendent, I think it was in Grand Haven, 
who due to bus driver shortages was driving the bus for extracurriculars. And, you know, it wasn't like a, just a one-time thing as a stunt is there's actual shortages out there. What is, is the situation on the ground right now? Is it this in part because people are, teachers are checking out or there's just other better job opportunities for people right now. What's behind that trend? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like closures, you know, haven't just come from COVID-19 and, and threats and that sort of thing, but it, it seems like every school, at least uh, where I cover and, and really in the state of Michigan is fighting with a lack of teachers and, and support staff. Really. I've seen, you know, tons of job fairs pop up, you know, all over the County and state, you know, um, a lot of districts are specifically struggling in the transportation department. You know, odds are wherever you might be listening to this, you know, in the state of Michigan, your school district is probably hiring bus drivers to train, uh, you know, and bring on staff. I know one um, one school district I cover in Nosey County, um, they told me last month that they've had to cancel at least one bus route almost every single day this semester. Um, just because, you know, th their staff is low. And then on top of that, you know, they have lives too. They have to take days off. They have, they get COVID-19 every once, you know, people have sick days, that sort of thing. Um, you know, they've increased hourly pay benefits. You know, they've added attendance pay even. Hmm. You know, schools are really doing everything they can to kind of train and recruit uh, those kind of support staff members, not only uh, teachers. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, I think schools are doing what they can to try to attract people to the workforce, but I think they're facing the same issues that the labor market across the board is facing. Um, people are just able to be a little bit more selective about their professions right now. And, um, you know, I think that applies across the board with schools. Um, you look at para paraprofessionals, which, you know, need to have a bachelor's degree or, are getting $13 an hour. I think those are positions that are starting to be re-examined in terms of the value that they bring to schools and um, schools are finding more money for those types of hires. I know personally, I've seen um, superintendents working in the lunchroom, um, Ann Arbor schools, uh, superintendent Janice Swift uh, has taught classes this um, this fall. Um, so people are, are, are chipping in. And I think one of the things that maybe people don't realize beyond the staffing shortage is it's just the the lack of a pool of um, substitute teachers to fill in for um, teachers when they are off right now. And that's where we have um, started to see um, district-wide closures is where um, teachers are taking the time off that they normally have, but there's just nobody to fill these spots right now. Um, operationally, you, you just see that on a daily basis, like Dylan mentioned, buses um, running late because they have to double up routes. Um, and, and even in the lunchroom, I think we've seen issues with, with outposts being properly staffed. So um, it's, it's across the board. And um, I think schools are starting to try to address that with, with uh, COVID funds um, to try to make those positions more attractive. But it's going to take a while. It's interesting you both have mentioned the COVID funds. Having the money is one thing. Uh, finding, finding the labor force is another. And the jobs that you're talking about are not necessarily the top of the, the, the pay scale, you know, the, the curriculum director, it's, it's down at the worker level, the same place that McDonald's is trying to find people, um, you know, the $15 an hour jobs or $13 an hour jobs. My, my daughter is at MSU and her favorite dining hall closest to her dorm closed because they just, 
they don't have anybody to work in the dining hall. Um, you know, so first world problems, she has to walk another two blocks to eat, but um, it, it, it's being felt everywhere. Um, you're listening to Behind the Headlines, an MLive podcast. Today, we're talking about the stresses on the public education system due to COVID and a host of other reasons. Um, joining us today are guests Martin Slochter from the Ann Arbor News and Dylan Getz from the Flint Journal Education Writers. Let's talk about educational outcomes. You mentioned you've been in the schools. Uh, you're in constant contact with superintendents, probably teachers, unions, and others. Uh, 20 months into COVID with really obviously no end in sight that we know of, what has changed, you know, you know, not just the way people are being educated, but the outcomes that we're getting and, and how can they measure that? And, and how, do, how do parents have a sense of how, that, that their kids are being educated in a way that we used to be used to? Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting point. You know, I think a lot of schools and superintendents that I've talked to, um, you know, even intermediate school district superintendents who are kind of looking at it, you know, from one step back and looking at a whole county, um, they they're, they're struggling to 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 find out how learning loss um, and and COVID nineteen will affect these students in the long run. Um, you know, that's kind of the, you know, we talked about all the different issues that are facing, um, you know, education right now, but learning loss is really the overwhelming big one that everybody has in the back of their mind, but they struggle to address just because, you know, we, they didn't have school today because there was a threat or, you know, there's three teachers out with COVID and, you know, we want to make sure that all the close contacts are taken care of, um, you know, we're, we're, we're now coming up on two years uh, worth of education where students are, you know, it, it just hasn't been consistent. You know, uh, even even last year, all year, students were home and not spending as much time in the classroom as they normally would just because they're in front of a computer. So that's kind of, it, it seems to me that that's the big kind of overwhelming issue that is in the back of a lot of, you know, officials' minds. And, and, and I'm not sure if, uh, there's an easy answer of how to how to address that um, right away. Yeah, I'd say beyond beyond learning losses, just as you kind of alluded to earlier, is just the mental health uh, portion of kids um, not having that normal type of school experience for you know almost two years now. Um, we've already heard from some school districts about the impact of of you know, some of those mental health challenges of being isolated, not having, you know, peers um, for a good portion of time and, and the impact that that has, particularly with, with younger students. Um, so I think that's something that's going to have to be addressed over a long period of time in school districts as, as we move forward. And I think that'll just put a continued emphasis on um, prioritizing mental health services within school districts. Uh, we know that that's going to be necessary anyway, but I think um, the, the pandemic has really kind of exacerbated that for uh, students and, and obviously for parents. But I think students are the, the ones that they're going to have to really pay, pay close attention to in, in over a long period of time uh, as this pandemic moves forward. One, one highly visible part of the school experience is high school sports. We just concluded a you know, pretty much full high school football season with state championships at Port Field. And I mean, that looked fairly normal for a lot of athletes. What's the state, though, under the surface of 
opportunities for other kids, extracurriculars, and are, are those things coming back the way that they, the way we know them, or has that been, has that been limited? Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a slow process. I want to, I want to try back a little bit to what uh, Marty was saying about, um, you know, school districts trying to address, um, you know, some of the issues, especially with mental health with COVID-19 funding, the third round of COVID funding, ESSER 3, it's called, um, it requires school districts to go and reach out to the community to ask, you know, how do we want this spent? And, you know, I just did a story last week, Flint Community Schools had a couple forums and they're really collecting a lot of uh, takeaways from students, not only, but uh, teachers in the district and then parents. Um, You know, one of the biggest responses they've got is more mental health specialists, more um, more people to that that can not only just help the students in the classroom with counselors, but really the whole family. Um, you know, and, and back to your question, uh, I, I think they are coming back a little bit. You know, there's been um, you know more kind of drama and and uh, kind of concert like productions. You know, the arts is coming back. Um, you know, it, it seemed like early on. Uh, sports was the big push right away, um, but er- everything's a little, um, every- everything's just a bit muted uh, with uh, COVID-19 and mask wearing and that sort of thing. You know, schools are having to find different ways to put on these same productions and and do these same, uh, you know, give these students the same opportunities uh, in a way that's safe and really COVID friendly. So, I think also um, we just add that the availability of the vaccine for ages five to 11 mm-hmm. is going to open up more opportunities for schools to kind of transition back to that, I guess, more normal or before times as it's often referred to in education. Um, we're starting to see this kind of metamorphosis back into a more regular school experience through some of those extracurricular activities with um attention being paid to following those health and safety protocols, like things like dances and, and um, concerts and things like that um, are still happening um, with more regularity now. Um, but I think that there is a certain um, level of experience that uh, school districts have gained over the past year and a half of, of practice of trying to make some of these very essential parts of the educational experience happen on like social events. And I think you'll see that continue to be a little, become more normal as we move forward. Before times that just poignant and sad. (laughs) It is a very sad buzzword, but yeah. Yeah. Is that one word or two, Marty? Oh boy. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll just tell you from our perspective, and this won't surprise either of you guys, you work for MLive. Uh, you know, we went through that first period where he said, oh boy, we're working from home and we got to make do, but we're going to go back. And then you start changing things. And then you go to this phase where you realize when we, when and if we go back, back isn't going to be before times, it's going to be new times and things will be different. It doesn't mean they're not bad. It's just in any human endeavor that lasts this long, we're going to learn things and adapt how is education going to look different in the after times for, you know, the next is coming through. I mean, what is, how are schools permanently going to change due to what they're learning now? 
I think it's kind of what we talked about before with that same kind of flexibility. Um, you know, I mentioned that a lot of schools are using COVID funds to upgrade the technology and upgrade, uh, you know, many schools now have two to one Chromebooks per student. So they have one Chromebook at the school and then students are also able to take one Chromebook home that's still the school's property, but they're able to do homework from there. They're able to send emails, that sort of thing. Um, you know, and that along with a lot of schools have to provide, you know, Wi-Fi hotspots, that, so, that sort of thing. So it's just that flexibility uh, really to work in different spaces. And, you know, like the, like a lot of people have said the snow day is no more. And, and that's why is because now students have the, uh, the opportunity to learn at home and teachers have the capacity for it. You know, teachers are used to it now. Um, which is really uh, interesting to see, you know, I, I'm not sure if that means that, you know, schools are just going to do four days, uh, you know, you know, in class and then they'll, and then one other day virtual every week, but that is a possibility now. And it's something that we now have the infrastructure for that you never did before. Yeah. I, I, those are all good points. I would add, um, I'm just keeping an eye on staffing and, and teachers and, and are we going to have enough people to keep school operations going? If the, the pandemic has, has shown anything is that it's um, really kind of spread school districts thin. Um, we've seen schools um, trying to do innovative things uh, like provide incentives for paraprofessionals to get a fast track to become teachers and earn their teaching certificates. I think you're going to see more programs like that that kind of remove barriers um, for people who are involved in the school operations um, to be able to uh, become teachers um, and and kind of advance within the school district in the future and kind of try to grow their own staff. As, uh, we've seen that a little bit in Washtenaw County, but it's a slow moving process. Um, so uh, it's really going to come down to uh, what school is going to look like is going to depend on how many people are going to choose to be involved in this profession going forward. Um, so that'll certainly be interesting to watch to see if we still have the same levels of, of, of college graduates coming into this profession to match um, those that are leaving the profession. And right now, those numbers aren't adding up. So um, looking forward to some innovative solutions to see uh, uh, to help schools properly staff going forward. You talk about innovative. I think reporters like you have had to innovate in this climate as well. Uh, how has your, it's been 20 months, how has your job changed covering schools? You know, I, you mentioned several times in this podcast going into the school, so clearly we, you can get back on the ground. But uh, what are the challenges you face in your job in trying to portray the, the stories, accurately portray these stories of changes in schools? Yeah, I've, I've always been, um, you know, ever, ever since I graduated, I've always been a big proponent of uh, going somewhere, wherever you're doing the story, going there and at least seeing it for yourself. Even if that doesn't mean you're going to get an extra source, it means that you kind of feel the atmosphere a little bit. And really early on in the pandemic, that was so difficult. I mean, you weren't allowed anywhere. It was, it was a lot of phone calls, but now things are, you know, things are starting to ease up a bit. You know, uh, I often tell my sources, um, you know, that I'm vaccinated in case you have, you know, and I'll wear a mask and, you know, et cetera, in case there's any hesitance there. Um, but luckily in the past few months, um, you know, most schools are kind of set in stone with their uh, COVID-19 policies and are, are, a little bit more willing to let guests in 
So it hasn't really been an issue, but uh, early on, it was, it was really tough to, to be places, you know, we were reporting on a lot of, uh, a lot of different stories, obviously, you know, the first few weeks of the pandemic was, um, was crazy, but you know, a lot of that we were all doing from our bedrooms or our home offices, you know, so it, it's good to be able to kind of get out and see some faces and meet some people, um, you know, as, as we kind of get further and further away. I would say one of the biggest challenges has been trying to balance these kind of heavy subjects um, and emotionally charged um, type of topics and um, making sure there's, there's representation from people who are bringing up these issues to schools, but also trying to provide context about um, why the school districts are doing what they're doing to try to keep uh, staff and, and students safe. Um, and, and so it's, a, it's kind of a difficult balance when you see so many different types of parent groups um, speaking out in opposition to what's happening in school districts and um, how much of a, of a platform do they get as opposed to the parents who are just happy with what schools are doing and um, don't typically voice all of their, their, um, their complaints online and things like that. So it's really been about trying to, to understand to what degree these issues are issues at the, the school uh, district level and, and trying to portray um, these kind of heated debates as accurately as possible. Well, in prep, preparation for this podcast, I went and read a lot of school stories from around state and I'm live. Uh, I, I like the listeners to believe I read every story every day as they come out, but I had to do a little catching up and I just really, the, the themes are the same all over the state. There's a there's a lot going on in schools right now. They're, they're a focal point for a lot of what's happening in society. I thank you both, Marty and Dylan, for the work you're doing. And, and thank you for joining Behind the Headlines today. I hope you all have a happy holiday with your family. Get some relaxation at the end of the year here. Get your school break in. And uh, we'll see you back in 2022. Eric, thank you. And there they go. Thanks to Dylan and Martin for joining us today and tackling a very complex and difficult subject. As always, if you like what John and I are doing, like, subscribe, and share wherever you get your podcasts. He is John Heiner. I am Eric Hulkerin, and this is Behind the Headlines.